Think back to the last sales call you received. Maybe not the highlight of your day, right? But what if the person on the other end of the line valued your time, deeply understood your problems, and challenged you to make your business better? Yeah, it's still a sales call, and yeah, it'll never be the best moment of your day. But what if it were possible to take these conversations and make them more constructive, better for everyone involved? What if we took sales and reimagined it? From PRJ Media, this is the Nutshell Podcast. This week, I spoke with Glenn Cornell, who tells us how the sales world is undergoing a shift with the potential to improve the experience for everyone. We discussed a book called The Challenger Sale by Matthew Dixon and Brent Adamson. If you're in sales, this book might just revolutionize your understanding of what it means to connect with customers. And even if you're not in the world of business, get ready for a rare peek behind the curtain inside the mind of a salesperson. Well, Glenn, let me let me officially welcome you to the Nutshell Podcast. Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to uh, to join you guys. Yeah, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you. And uh, I think that a little background is is helpful here. So um, you we, you and I go a ways back. We had you know cross paths in our careers in China. And um, you are just now getting home. I guess it's been a couple of months now. Yeah, it's been about four months back in the U.S. Uh, since I uh, worked the same company uh, back in China. No two guys know more about foot care than us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's that's kind of the the funny thing is that I've made quite a, a career shift away from foot care as you have, which is what what kind of makes it uh, interesting about both of our backgrounds uh just moving back from the US doing something like manufacturing and and now uh, sorry from China rather uh but but now living in Boston and uh my mandarin is nothing more than a party joke <laughs> and that takes a little bit of acceptance <laughs> it does definitely for the foot care thing do you have anything li- like in your back pocket that you tell people like Oh, like gel or foam, you got to go foam. Well, usually I I just give them more in-depth analysis on why buying insoles and orthotics uh, will will help throughout their day as a salesperson standing up at their desk and walking around uh, and that really so much energy is... (laughs) No, not at all. I actually... uh... (laughs) You you had me, okay. (laughs) Don't go into that. I was following you, okay. (laughs) Uh, What I... (laughs) What's really been interesting is just the shift that I've taken, uh, you know, yeah. working in factories, working with manufacturing, uh, and then taking a job uh, now in sales uh, with uh, in the sales department of a tech company selling marketing software, which you really won't normally take that kind of jump in a career, uh, which is what really got me into trying to learn what I'm doing here and, and get on top of things. Yeah. So, so... Today we are talking about a book called, 
And this is one that you brought to our attention. I think John and I had not heard of this before, um, but it sounds like it's it's in your organization that it's it's very um, highly regarded. And it's called the Challenger Sale. So um, this is something that you said you've given a lot of thought to. Why has this been such an important book for you? Yeah, and and really for a ton of reasons. Uh, as I had mentioned, with this big shift. Uh, I wanted to learn a little bit more about sales in general from a more high level um, of what the sales process looks like. But at the same time, I wanted to take a look at some kind of literature that goes into sales more in depth. And one of the things I'd heard from our entire sales training process was that this book does a really good job of, of going into both the high level uh, picture on what sales is today and how it's evolved uh, over the past decades and specifics on things you can do to just do a better job. So I'm taking on this new job and some of the things that I, I don't have as much experience with and things that don't come naturally to me are things that I really wanted to learn more about. Uh, so going into this book and reading about it, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things that just I wouldn't naturally have done. And that's what yeah. I really liked about the book. Okay. So, uh, Glenn, this is not traditionally a uh, like sales and productivity podcast, but, but this is a fascinating topic. And I think as we get into it, listeners will understand why. But I want to understand, um, I want to kind of start off by broadening our subject matter a little bit. Because some people may hear sales and think, okay, this is... You know, there's a guy with a headset somewhere making 200 calls a day. That's sales. <laughs> and and yeah, that's sales, right? But so much of life is is sales and applying these tools. I mean, where where else, if you're maybe, if your job title, if your business card doesn't say sales on it, where, where else might you be applying these lessons? Right. And I think that's a really popular a really popular thought, especially like you've probably heard of Daniel Pink's book, uh, To Sell is Human. And he, he goes into a lot of examples on how sales skills, they roll over into the real world. And it's a lot about persuasion and how you can persuade people to the same kind of line of thinking or, the, or through the way that you approach them, uh, the way that you talk to them. But beyond persuasion, I think the challenger sale really goes into catering your message ways to better understand people, ask questions to carry on a relevant conversation, and then ultimately create thought-provoking discussions. It's just about how can you help people see new perspectives. So I, I could see that being really useful, whether you're meeting someone new, like a first date, uh, when you're really, like, if you, if you want to get into the habit of leading with genuine curiosity, trying to learn uh, what makes people tick, and then offering some new and different insight and perspectives. Yeah. Why am I better than the competition? Exactly. Yeah, those, exactly. Those right? Slubs, you know? <laughs> so, so if you have that, if you have that kind of mindset uh, going in, like I would say that it's, it's a good way to just have more in-depth conversations with people. Um, and, and, and I will say, on top of that, the book is definitely written for salespeople, yeah. and much of the value is in the direct advice that they give in the book uh, with, ver with examples of scenarios uh, where this approach has been successful for other salespeople. And I could see that for non-salespeople, 
it would also be incredibly interesting to see what goes into the sales process on the mm. other end of the deal. So there's, I, I could see it used in a personal uh, life context, but I could also see it used uh, just simply to better understand the sales process. Interesting. Okay. Um, so let's talk about this. There's, it sounds to me, to my, to my ears, like there's kind of a, a schism going on in the sales world, right? And, uh, there's, there's developments and you mentioned traditional sales versus, uh, other, other methods. Um, and it's not, it's, it's out of vogue, I guess, to, to even call yourself a salesperson from what I can see. Like when people hand me business cards, it always says business development <laughs> specialist, or it says consultant. And, you know, no one wants to have that seemingly wants to have that label applied to them. But on the other hand, as we just discussed, sales is communication. Sales is presenting yourself. Sales is conveying your ideas to other people in a way that's meaningful to them. So, you know, who isn't doing sales? But on the other hand, it kind of looks like no one's doing sales uh, if you look at business cards. So, I mean, what's what's going on here? What are, What's kind of, can you walk us through the traditional sales method versus this kind of more business development consultative uh, method that seems to be gaining more traction? Right. Yeah. And there's, I think there's a couple of questions in there. One, just around like how we look at salespeople and like the role and how the names are kind of hidden uh, in, in within the organization and then how that's like, what has brought that on in today's sales world uh, so I, I think you like hit it right on the dot. Like we call our sales reps inbound marketing specialists. Uh, and my position is a business development rep. So you're spot on with that. It's actually nearly cost me my job when I was first applying because yeah. I kept accidentally saying account rep, uh, because that's a lot of times the other name for a sales position, but within our company, that's actually a different position. So it's really confusing to figure out what a sales rep is because no one wants to say the word sales. So, yeah, and and why is that? I mean, I think absolutely sales reps have a bad reputation. Yeah, the image we have of sales reps is typically sleazy. Uh, you normally hear uh, used car salesman as the the quintessential sales rep. Uh, personality. And people just don't like to get the feeling that someone else should influence uh, their decisions, especially if that mm-hmm. influence is self-serving. Uh, and, and I mean, think about it. When's the last time you got a call from someone you didn't know and they started pitching you on a product that you may or may not need? Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you did need the product, there's a very slim to nil chance that they're going to react pos- positively to, to the message that you're giving them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, and, and here's, I guess, what you have been learning is that they're, like, that's not, some people are still doing that. It sounds like it may be, that may be the case, um, but not everybody. So now there's more of a consultative, like, uh, uh, you know, here's how I can help you. Here's how I understand your situation. I mean, what's, what's the new way that's evolving? Like you had said, buyers, they they really have more control over information now. Uh, so the process is different in today's sales world. If they're interested in a product, 
you're gonna you're gonna look up look it up online. Uh, you're gonna research it on hundreds of different websites. You're gonna talk to friends, get references. Uh, there are so many methods to find information when you're trying to purchase something yeah. that when a sales rep calls you and tries to sell you something, what's the value in that if you can do all of the searching on your own? So it's mm. it's it's really because of this change in buying habits, um, access to information. Uh, that salespeople have to shift uh, in their in their mindset to be more consultative. So, so like you had said, uh, with the traditional to the modern, I guess we'll say like more consultative approach. Uh, traditionally, the ideas have been to find the right contacts and the right companies and just blast through that list. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and like you'll see sales managers, they say things like "get used to failing," like uh, you know, "don't let it affect you," uh, and. Uh, activity drives results uh, and you'll strike gold from time to time and the clock's tw right twice a day. Like those kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah, the last one you'll never hear a manager say, but uh, a broken uh, clock's right twice a day. Right. <laughs> it's like, like, <laughs> right, right. A, That's right. like one of those demotivational posters. Right. And it's like, it just dehumanizes the entire process. It's also yeah. just a waste of time for everyone. Um, so you have people that are just trying to find people at the right time. Uh, rather than really calculating how they do it. So the idea now is really just to reach out to them once they've like proverbially raised their hand and asked for information. And that's usually more on the marketing end. Um, but, you know, the company that, that I work for is pretty hardcore uh, as an evangelist for inbound marketing and sales, yeah. uh, only reaching out to people at that moment in their buying journey. Uh, but frankly, not every, not every company... Um, has those kinds of resources or, or marketing assets. So when it comes to making the sales call, the best way is really uh, that they influence uh, the person they're speaking with in a genuine way by genuinely understanding and trying to help their clients solve problems. Uh, and that's the whole consultative approach. So as a salesperson, you're literally making hundreds of calls a week with people who hopefully are experiencing a common problem and a consultative salesperson should not be a product expert. They should be an industry expert. And they should, it's really important that they can recognize what kind of common problems happen in the industry. And on top of that, recognize when they cannot help a business. So I think that's the real big difference between a traditional and a more modern sales approach. Hmm. Okay. Well, good. Well, I want to get into some more of the details of the book, um, but but before I do that, I want to I want to see what we can do to hook anyone who might not be totally uh, sold on how sales applies to life yet. Because, and I was just thinking about this actually, because I got a a um, a robo call today. That's been my uh, experience lately with uh, with sales, and I think that might be the same for a lot of people. Where you're like, okay, here's a number. They're getting really good, by the way, at like matching their phone number with your area code, um, and even the first <laughs> few digits of your phone number. So uh, it looks like it might be a, a friend or something. Um, but I mean, can you speak to that, Glenn? Like for anyone who maybe you think of sales, you think of robocalls, you think of like a couple of random calls, um, and then maybe you know every now and again you have a significant purchase where you interact with, say, a car salesman. Um, I mean, we're talking about some some interesting stuff here, but like how, in your view, how how does all of this, um, how might it apply to, to somebody who 
maybe these are their main points of contact with the sales world. Right, and I had never heard of the uh, the catering the phone number to to be more local. That's uh, that's slimy. <laughs> it's amazing. And the first six digits matched my phone number. That's that's pretty cool. That that's uh, that's some 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 crafty uh, technology that definitely definitely it sounds a little desperate. It sounds a little bit like the uh, the re colon before sending an email out. So it looks like you've had a conversation oh. with them before. Oh, I like a, that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, well, I I don't do that for the record. Like, it's just something that is definitely crafty, but it it's a little bit slimy and and being able to yeah, it's kind of like fake rapport. Both the uh, the six digits and the the re colon. Yeah, to Glenn, re joining our podcast. Gotcha. <laughs> exactly. It's like oh, we we must we must have talked about this before, but I get so many emails. Uh, but, but what you were what you what you're you're touching on there was um, how can this be valuable for people outside of uh, for people that are getting those robocalls uh, from car salespeople uh, or from you know whoever it is that's the quote unquote slimy salesperson, um, but also just salespeople in general that sometimes are not so slimy that are more. Uh, trying to find a problem and see whether or not they can solve it. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The book, the book can help because as more salespeople are taking on this kind of consultative challenger approach, they're going to be more prepared and equipped to solve problems in your industry. And if you're receiving a call from a salesperson, keep in mind that they're calling hundreds of similar companies, probably including your competitors to get an understanding of the things that their businesses are struggling with, uh, they're trying to accomplish, the goals they've set in place, and the plan that they're putting in place to carry out those, to, to really meet those goals, to carry out those plans. Uh, a consultative salesperson has probably spent a good deal of time doing some research on your company specifically, and based on those hundreds of calls, very likely has a catered idea and approach as well as a series of questions based on hundreds of other people they've spoken with uh, in similar companies and similar industries, I think you get my point. They yeah. they, they know they're they know they know what they're getting into, uh, and I think that even if it's something you're not looking to solve, as someone receiving this call, uh, it's usually a five to ten minute call uh, that you can figure out pretty early on whether or not they've done their research on their end. Yeah. Okay. So, so looking into the book, it it. it if you read this book, or if you were to look into this as not a salesperson, uh, you could very quickly identify like who is actually someone that could you that would benefit you to have a quick conversation with, as opposed to someone who's simply going to try and pitch their company. Interesting. Okay. As you said, hundreds of calls. I felt <laughs> I felt your experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, well, let's let's talk about some of the some of the specifics of this book. And I think the first thing that jumped out to me, not being a salesperson myself, is the way that this uh, that the that the author um, identified different types of salespeople. So, um, and I, I guess it's actually a group of authors who took a look at the sales terrain and they and they said, okay, so so basically, you have some sales personality types. They narrowed it down to five, and I think a lot of us have probably encountered some of these different types of salespeople because you get some who are, who kind of like okay, you know, he or she kind of feels like my friend. This is a very casual thing, and then there are others who it's maybe it's more of a pressure sale um, where, where you feel like 
maybe they're very they're very competent but it, you know i'm not sure that this you know the feeling is kind of feels kind of aggressive so i mean what what are the different profiles that that they talk about right and the way that the book really starts out is by simply overviewing the different kinds of styles of salespeople but it really starts with the, these breakthroughs of sales uh, or the lack thereof of breakthroughs. And what they're trying to do is they're positioning the research that they've done as this next big breakthrough. Um, mm. I mean, I'd argue that it's not so new, these different kinds of personalities they've discovered, but it's just gotten a lot more important in recent years to follow a, a different kind of process. So, so this breakthrough that I was talking about, uh, that Matthew Dixon and, uh, Brent Adamson argue is research on uh, sales styles to investigate the different skills, uh, behaviors, and and the, the knowledge uh, and attitudes as well that uh, that matter most for a high performing salesperson. Uh, and then the the different personalities they didn't really expect to come across these these five specific personalities that hmm. would categorize themselves very neatly. Um, maybe uh, you know maybe it's something they 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 had in, in mind, but they're basically these five personalities, uh, and, and I'll, I'll rattle through them real quick. So you've got the relationship builders, I think it's pretty straightforward. Uh, they really try to develop a strong personal, professional relationship uh, within the organization and the individual people that they're talking to. They're very generous with their time. They strive to meet the customer's every needs, uh, and they really try to resolve any tension in the commercial relationship with the company they're dealing with. Okay. So that's the relationship builder. You can kind of picture like the good guy, the the um, the nice guy, maybe is <laughs> like the better way oh, to put it. Oh no! And I feel like you're <laughs> going to tell us that nice guys finish last. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I uh, I will say that reading this book has driven a lot of fear into my own into my own process, into yeah. my own personality. Uh, I'll touch on that later. Okay. <laughs> but uh, there, there's also the reactive problem solvers. They're the people that, uh, from the customer standpoint, they're highly reliable. They're yeah. detail-oriented. They focus on post-sales follow-ups. Um, they're really um, all about execution, uh, quick follow-through, and uh, they're always there for the customer, uh, and they're very well-organized. The hard workers, uh, I. They, they stay up late, they get to the office early, they do everything they can to uh, drive activity as high as possible. This is the striking gold, broken clock one. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it's the idea that the process itself is not as important as the effort you put into the process. Uh, so you have the lone wolves, they're, they're, they're very self-confident, they're they break the rules. They don't really, they're not easy to manage. They're not very see, easy to manage. I see a movie taking shape here. <laughs> like these these five characters like walking into yeah. a bar together. Like a buddy cop uh, sales movie. The lone wolf taking unnecessary risks. Then <laughs> you got the nice like guy. Like a B Hollywood movie. Yeah. Like, yeah, like one that you would rent maybe. Once it got down to like two ninety nine. And so in the context of that movie, the way they would set this up, is that the main character, the protagonist, is the challenger. Okay. Uh, <laughs> they're that, they're, they have a deep understanding of the customer's business. They push their thinking. They take control of the sales conversation. But most importantly, they're not afraid to share controversial views. And they're very assertive. 
and they say things like, if you want to work with us, you're going to have to completely change the way that you're currently doing business. Whoa. So they're they're kind of like the, uh, not quite the outlaw, but they're the person that's going out of their way to just uh, push people to change how they're doing things and how they're looking at things, uh, but in a way that's not comfortable. Not comfortable. Okay. So you're definitely not conforming yourself to make things easy on the person that you're you're having a conversation with you're saying here's our framework we know your industry we know what works uh we're happy to work together but you, you do think you know our way or the highway right it's it's about basically going in and telling them that they need to change how they're doing things and they need to not just they need to but learning about what uh, what kind of problems they're facing based on your experience and trying to find ways to push them or help them change the way they're doing uh, they're doing the things that are doing today but yeah. in a way that con it, it controls tension constantly so honestly when I saw this it was it was a huge shock like seeing the relationship builder sure. uh, you know as as, uh, as being something that honestly like the way they set it up it was that as a relationship builder like you're not going to be as effective. And as a relationship builder in my personal life, I saw this to be the role I would most naturally fall into. Yeah. And we, we so as relationship builders, you basically, and just as almost like as people in general, you want to believe the relationship builder is going to win in the end, that patience, consideration, that the goodwill should equal success in the long run. But in reality, it's just not all that effective, especially with more complex uh, sales situations. And this was one seems like one of the one of the bombs that they drop, right? Like this is this is the convention breaking part of it in a sense that relationship building. Um, I mean, this is how you're this is how you are a good human and a good friend. And I guess don't stop doing this in your personal life, but uh, as far as effective sales measures, the the challenger is the way to go. Right, and the way they present it in the book uh, is basically they took all the data of those five different personas, and in the order that I say to them, uh, the least effective first to the most effective, relationship builders being by far the least effective within organizations, and challengers being by far the most effective. Mm. So talking about how relationship building isn't effective, um, they really do a good job of reassuring people that the relationship itself is still important. Okay. You can't, you can't right. just... <laughs> okay, like, you can't Calm just down. A, Crisis averted. You can't just be a jerk on the phone and show yeah. like little or no respect or understanding. Hmm. And you can't ignore the opportunities to build rapport. But the problem is that with the approach of simply trying to build a relationship, it makes sale... In sales, you become a nice person that, that people get along with easily and uh, doesn't really it doesn't really work in today's environment because for one now more than ever individuals within the organization they're held accountable for their decisions so if you're working in any company and you're talking to a salesperson about a decision you need to make uh, you're going to be held accountable for long-term metrics of that decision the ROI yeah. of whatever it is you buy uh, yeah. they'll evaluate the performance of it and a BDB sell isn't going to happen uh, just because Mike's cousin dated the CFO in college, uh, like, or that rep Jordan um, 
bought the whole marketing team a round of beers after that last trade show in Austin. Because you need to justify <laughs> it to other people in your organization. Yeah, exactly. So at the end of the day, it's going to be about which company is the best fit for the yeah. problem that they're trying to solve. Okay. And so the, so it sounds like this challenger profile, which is like maybe not, as, as you were describing, maybe not intuitive for someone like you who is really comfortable t uh, talking to people and loves building relationships, but it's like it, kind of natural, right? Like you're, you're uh, approaching this with with questions that may put people in an odd place and, and make the conversation a little uncomfortable. And as, as you said, build tension. So, I mean, how, how is that? How is that transition from kind of a relationship mindset to a, a challenger mindset? I mean, it's really difficult because if you have a relationship mindset, you're thinking, how can I help these people and have a nice conversation. And we touched on the dirty word sales, not sound like a salesperson and not try to take time out of people's day. Sure. So when you come in with that mindset and then someone or something like a book tells you or data tells you that coming in and simply trying to be nice and release or reduce the tension uh, release any pressure in the conversation is going to make the whole selling process worse for you and make the experience worse for the person you're speaking with. Um, it's it's scary because you're thinking like I can't sure. I can't challenge people like I so so very like in that process it, it seems like uh, that it's it's not something that it's going to be possible or it just seems like they're basically telling you look, actually, as a salesperson, you can't, you can't do this because if you're thinking of it in a relationship perspective, you're ultimately going to fail. Yeah. So it is scary. Uh, and, and I will say that one other point, though, is that is that there's really just no inherent business value to relationship selling. Hmm. So if you, if you think of a rep that leans so heavily, and they, they talk about this a lot in the book, a rep that leans really heavily on the idea that their relationships are going to close deals, uh, they're often kind of wary to have more pressing conversations. They avoid tension at all costs uh, because they're worried that it's going to create discomfort in the process. What they're, what they're doing is they're creating really fluffy conversations. They're, there's a lack of authority and there's never any in-depth, like gritty discussion on ways to change the way they do their business. And in a world where as a buyer, you have all this information, what's the point in talking to a salesperson that's just going to um, have a really nice conversation. Yeah. Okay. But the challenger profile for people who have started doing this, and it sounds like a lot of folks in your organization have, um, this is a totally different take, right? And, and the authors conclude this is the most effective way to do sales. And if you're not doing this, you should, you should consider it. So what are, what are these people doing right? I mean, what are some of the things that, are that in your view are, are really helpful outcomes um, of, of this approach? So it comes as no big surprise that at this point, uh, really the goal of the book is to bring out this challenger you know, yeah. uh, in, in most sales reps. So real quick, before jumping into what they do, I just want to clarify and mention that a sale, a challenger salesperson it's while it's somewhat a natural tendency for some people, 
it's also something that you can completely learn on your own. So it's yeah. ultimately a decision uh, as mm -hmm. a as a rep to do this kind of thing. Uh, it's not it's not like someone can adopt this strategy uh, because of their personality. It's really about learning to control tension, and and that's the key, as you mentioned or as you asked with the challenger salesperson about what is it that they're doing. They're controlling tension in the conversation. So when a sales rep is on a call, they want to continuously control the tension of the conversation, but always keeping it constructive. So within the conversation, uh, they have this constructive tension that a sales rep is constantly doing a few things. And, and the three things they point out in the book are teaching for differentiation, tailoring resistance, and taking control of the sale. So I, I can go into that real quickly in detail if that's yeah well and and maybe the first the first thing I'm curious about is is taking control of the sale because that seems kind of <laughs> radical right like isn't that the buyer's decision right and it can sound really controversial right like yeah. especially when we're talking about traditional salespeople being the kind of people you don't want to be and you you, you hear these things like coffee is for closers and uh, <laughs> you know and uh, this whole idea of 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 really forcing your product uh, down the, the prospect's throat. Um, yeah. So it definitely sounds bad, but it's not about being aggressive or pushing customers. It's really about holding your ground in areas that are important to your sales process. So just an, an example they give in the book uh, is how often companies send their interns to do research on a number of potential companies, but really they've already made their decision. So they've decided they, they're probably going to buy this thing. But you know what? We need to do our due diligence and let's have an intern or let's have a low-level person in the company just reach out and you know find out some information. Yeah. So reps at these second-choice companies, they could go through a whole sales process with an intern. Or they could set the precedent early on that they'll need to bring in decision makers to really have a more in-depth understanding of whether or not there's a company fit. So if you're a salesperson and you want to have control of the conversation, you can make that decision early on when you're speaking to a lower level person in the company that might not have any influence, that it's really important that they learn more about the company from a higher level, from the the larger goals within the organization, and that it'll be really good to bring in someone else into the next conversation. It doesn't mean that it's not important to have that intern or that lower level person on your side, but it does mean that you want to be taken seriously because your time is also valuable. Sure. And I can see how that's one that you, traditionally you would tiptoe around that kind of thing, right? Because it's so easy to say the wrong thing and give that person the impression that they're not valuable. Exactly. I mean, there is some ways that they mentioned about how to word this conversation about saying like, what are some ways uh, or when you're talking to this person, uh, whether if they're a lower level person, like who along with yourself would be, would it be beneficial to bring in on the next conversation? 
rather than just saying, yeah. oh, can I talk to your boss or your manager? <laughs> Who more important than you can I expect for the next call? Yeah, so that, that's just one of the examples of, they say taking control of the conversation. I think what the book is also trying to do is be bold with the way that they make their statements. And then when you read the book, you realize that they're regressing in the language that they use. And they're saying like, okay, we said that to get your attention, but like, here's really how it is. So it's not like this crazy, like take control and drive the conversation the whole time. It's really just setting a precedent for how your sales process works so that you're guiding them the whole way through the process. So let's let's uh, let's get real with kind of like how this works in the real world. So I think we maybe have an understanding of the theory at this point. But what I mean, you're making these kind of calls, Glenn, and you know how do they work? Like how does a typical call go for you? So one of the one of the interesting things about working in business development, making a lot of calls, is that you find that a call is very reliant on the first five seconds and, five the, seconds? and the last minute. I mean, the first yeah. five seconds. So this book doesn't actually touch on the first uh, first five seconds of a call, but just yeah. how, how you approach it. I've heard some interesting ways. There's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, it's mostly try to like let them know that you're a human being. And also let them know that you respect their time yeah so it doesn't this is not as much of a challenger sales thing but it's more of a when i'm giving calls i'm usually calling and simply saying my name and the company that i work for and because it's more of an inbound approach they have been to our website they've downloaded things and they recognize the company um let's just say for for this sake that they don't recognize the company I might say like, "Hey, this is Glenn from Conglomo Corp." That's, that's all I'll say. For, first of all, you guys have some <laughs> branding problems, but go on, go on. And uh, and uh, I'll gauge their reaction. If they've heard of Conglomo Corp, then they might say, "Oh, hey, Glenn." Uh, you know, they might be positive. They might just. But most of the time, you kind of have to assume they're just going to say, "Yes," yeah. or. I'm sorry, <laughs> or something kind of awkward. Yeah. Uh, and in that case, I'll usually uh, just make a statement. Uh, I'll try and listen to what's going on. Maybe they're driving, maybe they're eating, maybe they're doing something. Uh, if it sounds like uh, calling them at a bad time, I'll just make a statement like, sounds like I caught you in the middle of something. And I think it's really important to to make that statement because on one part, you're letting them know that you're calling them and you're maybe interrupting them in their day. So you're getting permission. But I, but on top of that, that's that whole control of the call. That's 
you're 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 saying something in an almost assumptive way, but you're saying it in a way that you're showing respect. So you're giving them permission to say, like, yes, you did catch me in the middle of something. This is not a good time. Mm-hmm. But if you just simply call and say, did I catch you in the middle of something? You're putting yourself in a position where now they're going to say, or they could say, uh, yes, you did catch me in the middle of something. This is a bad time. Or so you might say, is this a bad time? They'll say, it's always a bad time. Uh, and which is, it's better than just jumping into your pitch, but asking that question is going to put you in a position where they're driving the call and they're giving they're you're having to essentially grant, get permission granted to you. But that, but after you've gotten through that first five seconds and whatever it is, uh, the first thing you want to do is bring up that you did, you know, their industry and bring up that you noticed some things. So it might be that you were on their website and you noticed that they were putting out an ebook uh, with a download form and you clicked on that on that call to action and you went to the landing page and you filled out a form and you noticed that their form was particularly long and had specific questions within the form. So when you do get more or less permission to start talking about their company, the first question you could ask is, hey, I saw that you had this ebook on five tips on how to market uh, your software company or something along those lines. And I noticed that in that form, you were asking for blank. Is that really important for your organization to know that kind of information? Huh. And usually showing what you're doing is you're showing that you took some time to learn about their business, that you've been on their site, that you've, you've looked into some initial, uh, some initiative that they've put out on their site. And it's very rare that someone would just push back and say, I don't don't have time for this. Or at that point that they would just not answer that question. They'll, they'll answer that question. And, and then you just have a conversation and just listen to them. And like we had mentioned, the goal really is just to try and understand more about the problems they're facing. And then at some point you want to have some positioning statements that are very catered to that industry and that company and that role. So they talk about catering your message uh, in the book a lot. And if you're talking to a certain person within a certain kind of industry, you have to know what kind of problems they're dealing with. So if you've, like I call a ton of media companies and digital publishers, and if you're calling those kind of companies, you probably don't want to tailor a conversation around things like SEO and content marketing because they're not having trouble with that. That's something that they're probably not actively solving. So you yeah. have to understand the business and say, so with a media company, their databases are usually dispersed and disparate in a lot of places, and they don't have a good understanding of the people that are on their sites and reading their magazines and at the events that they're meeting. So just simply saying, I talk to a lot of blank companies in blank industry, and they're having blank problem uh, and you go into that in more detail and they're also having another problem and you go into that in a little bit of detail and simply putting it out there and saying, is that something that you've come across or just simply saying it and then don't say anything and see how they react. And then after they react, say, that's really interesting because, and then you can go into a little more things that you've learned from other companies and still don't even mention your product. Just talk more about that. So 
That's what it really goes into. So, so at this point in the conversation, you've gotten past this crucial five, uh, five seconds where you're, you're taking into account the fact that they may be like in line at the ice cream store or on the highway <laughs> or something. Right. right. Um, and then you, you've kind of used whatever hook that you have because it, it's an inbound situation. So maybe they, you knew, you knew that they were interested in something. Um, and then you're delving into kind of what their problems may or may not be. But at this point, you still haven't given a pitch about your, you know, hey, I work for XYZ Conglomo Corp. And here's why we're the best. And here's why we're better than everyone else. Right. And that's and that's really where I think the Challenger sale as a book, it does go into multiple layers of the sales process. And the other what's kind of happening at that same time is this idea of not talking about your company and not laying down a pitch when you don't know what their problem is. Mm. So the key really is just trying to learn their problem and try and give them whatever value you can from other companies you've spoken with. But just there's no reason to lay down a pitch if you don't know if that pitch is going to land or be something that's even relevant. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it does. It does seem like so much of this is coming back to the confidence that comes. I mean, obviously experience, general sales experience is important here, but particularly with knowing somebody's industry and what problems they're likely to have. And the fact that, I, I mean, I guess you have to really believe too, that what you're talking about can help them. You have to do a lot of work. Like yeah. one of the things that I started doing after training at the company and reading this book was learning the industry and learning the individuals because it's something you can't fake when you really do want to have a more consultative like challenger style approach you have to be knowledgeable you have to be an expert Um, so there's no really easy way around it it's just simply understand the process and then put in the time to learn about these companies Hmm. i'm curious about how the challenger sale works in reality like the specifically the the assertiveness of it that they talk about and I, and I know you said that there's more nuance and and maybe they they kind of uh jacked up the terminology to make it more engaging but it, it seems like it would be easy to do this wrong you know like like is it because you're so easily potentially getting people on the defensive and making them feel like, hey, this really isn't the conversation that I expected to be getting into. So, I mean, do you, is this something to be to be really really careful with? Is it is it easy to get this wrong? Yes, uh, I do think that very often, uh, someone that comes into an organization, whether through the phone or in person, and starts telling them that they know their business better than they know their business yeah <laughs> that they're going to run into some landmines and cause um, issues with how they're addressing that company so it, it's that's a really good point of something to just constantly think about when we talk to customers or clients on the phone we never assume that they're having the problem, but rather you create a positioning statement that involves other companies you've spoken with that are having problems 
like A or B. And when they acknowledge that they are having that problem, you can then say, interesting, because, and then you can continue the conversation. So it's really important that you don't say that they're having these problems. You kind of take your experience uh, with speaking with similar companies and address those similar companies and they struggled with this thing or that thing. And it's really important you have both because it gives you a kind of more grounds to work with instead of just assuming one point. Yeah. Um, and when you're having that conversation, you can also throw in a story and say, oh, actually, like this reminds me a lot of, and don't say you remind me a lot of, just say this reminds me a lot of. Uh, um, okay. we're, we're depersonalizing this. <laughs> you don't want to, because you don't want to just assume people have these exact problems, but you can say yeah. this reminds me a lot of um, John Doe that I spoke with last week at Company Conglomo Inc. And he was struggling with blank and he found that A was causing, you know, B to, it, it basically just craft together a, a kind of message that shows the issues that are common with possible solutions. And then at the end of the day, um, how they solve that problem. And that's just a way to make it less personal. intrigued with this idea of the the first five seconds and i'm wondering if as a consumer as a guy picking up the phone do you think i can tell in the first few seconds is this somebody who values my time who's worth talking to i think most likely in the first five seconds you'll be able to tell if they're experienced or not i don't think you'll be able to tell because i've had some conversations where i was hung up on in the first five seconds simply because i was nervous i had the right intentions i knew the industry but i was nervous and yeah. they were just thinking who's this punk <laughs> and just hung out the phone <laughs> um so I, I i also think you could tell just based on whether or not they're respectfully i mean if they start pitching something right away yeah feel yeah. free to hang up as a as a salesperson to, really uh, you're giving us you're giving us carte, <laughs> carte blanche to, to just say hey you know sorry man no yeah yeah they're, if, you, if you pick up the phone and they say their name and start pitching something then there's just no reason to stay on the phone hmm. um, but i would say that in the first i guess the first five seconds some experienced salespeople have learned a few things that work really well um, there's one guy in our office who has a message of the day essentially and it sounds a little sleazy but every day he thinks of something and then that's just how he starts his call and it's usually along the lines of hey i know the last thing that you were hoping for was a sales call on a friday afternoon and i'll just say that or like yeah. I, I know that the worst i know this is like the worst possible time to t be talking to someone like me right now and then he'll just go into some like 
and and usually saying something like that just takes people off guard and just yeah. lets them know like hey i'm a person like yeah. I, I i i understand like that there are some things that that you're doing right now and you maybe were not expecting this call and like putting that out there early on i think is is a is a good way to let the person know on the other end that that you care about their time has has being a salesperson changed how you respond to sales calls being a salesperson i'm just gonna say it still feels weird <laughs> for me to call myself that just because of the just because the, how it's such a bad word do you want uh, me to cushion to cushion that what's what's a no, good, better no, euphemism? i'm gonna i'm gonna embrace it i'm gonna <laughs> take it <laughs> um, we're gonna take it back guys being a salesperson has changed the way my girlfriend takes sales calls and myself as well but it's being someone who i think being around if you're a good friends with a salesperson who cares and is looking into these kinds of things or you're dating a salesperson then it, it should definitely affect the way that you take sales calls um because you understand the pain yeah. <laughs> and the and and the and, and the joy at the same time like there is nothing better than calling someone who's not expecting a call and they're just a complete dick can i say that (laughs) 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 they're just like a completely uh negative and they're pushing you away but you are able to bring them back to your side and have a discussion in which they say like actually that's really interesting yes could i please talk with you about this again or uh, I had a call with a guy who was very much used to traditional sales calls. And when I called him, he wanted to hear a pitch. I explained to him, instead of giving the pitch, just some information that I had studied about his company. By the end of the call, he said that he was going to not only come on the next call, but he was going to bring their chief marketing officer into the next call because he had to hear this. Wow. And that's a really, really, really cool feeling. It's uh, so that, that kind of joy is also something that it helps you as a salesperson understand that if you're trying to help people and the people around you that know that you're doing this and you, you speak with them about it, they'll, it'll affect the way they answer the phone. I think. Huh. I checked Amazon recently and I looked under these, this category called sales and selling, which is where the challenger sale resides. And I found uh, in the last three months, there were 371 books populating that category. Uh, there's a lot of volume here. There's a lot of options for people to read about different approaches to sales. Probably a pretty tough category to navigate, I imagine, if this is something that you want to learn about. So if anybody's listening to this and thinking, huh, you know, um, this sounds like one interesting approach. <laughs> I was thinking about buying a book. There are over 300 options. Like, is this something that they should, they should consider? Is, is, this, is this book worth reading? So I'm someone who researches a lot of books before I read a book. And so I, I think I saw probably the same 300 books as well. <laughs> and uh, I, I looked into a few. I, I spoke with people in our company. And I felt like there were just so many different books with so much information or so many books with so much of the same information that it would be 
pretty difficult to really make any kind of decision on on what book to buy. Um, but just the the fact that I had gotten so many references internally within the company that it had a, a high rating <laughs> on Amazon um, and that I had found the book in the first place told me that it was just worth my time to look into. But the reason that I looked into it and the reason that I would say it would be worth it for other people that are sales reps or are thinking about being sales reps is that it pushes against that idea of relationship selling and it talks about creating tension. And that's something that is different from the challenger sale. When you look at how a lot of other books talk about selling is they talk about building relationships. Uh, you have Never Eat Alone is a great book, but it's something that talks strictly on building relationships for your network. Um, and a lot of the times sales books are following ideas that have become popular. And so you have a large category of, of books that are saying the same thing. And I do think that this book is at the forefront of, of that category. And there are going to be more books like The Challenger Sale, but I like going with the original. I like as our as our listeners kind of digest all of this. One thing I like is that perhaps what's sticking with me right now is be nice to salespeople <laughs> <laughs> as a takeaway. Um, but if they if they launch right into their pitch, feel free to hang up. And I'm I'm definitely going to be taking that away. Yeah, I think that's a good. I think having respect for the people that are giving you respect and then treating others as they treat you. It's a good way to, uh, to look at those kind of calls. Look at that. <laughs> See, it's not just sales guys. This is the golden rule we're talking about here. <laughs> this is universal. You talked about applying it to real life. There you go. There's a... <laughs> <laughs> here we go. The Nutshell is a production of PRJ Media. If you like us, consider leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter, at Podcast Nutshell. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next week.